Uh, we're in a series entitled Fight for Your Family. Nehemiah is the rebuilding the walls and opposition comes. They're plan the enemy is planning an attack. Now, he's rebuilding walls, but it really is a picture of our building down the broken walls of our lives and families. And he says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, for your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And uh, we're talking about fighting for our family because health never just happens. In fact, if you leave things alone, things tend to deteriorate, right? But if you're going to have something become better, it's going to become more healthy, you need to work on it. Now, I have a quote here by the marriage guru, uh, Gary Smalley, and he makes this statement. He says that most marriages are 80% good and 20% bad. Right? Now, babe, that, that's most people. We're like 99% good. You're 100% good, and I'm like 1% bad, or, you know, but we're, we're good. All right, but he says, he says, he says, most marriages are 80% good and 20% bad. He says, now, unhappy couples focus on the 20% that's bad, and happy couples focus on the 80% that's good. I think that's really good. You know, we, we need to appreciate our spouse, appreciate all the good things, and focus on the good things. And, and, and you know this, but, but you cannot change your spouse. You can't change anybody else, right? The only person you can change is, is yourself. You can't change somebody else. And, and you may try it, but it's just not going to work. Like how many of you have tried it? <laughs> yeah. Um, years ago when, when I was... Well, many years ago before I was perfect. Try, trying to change him. I was trying to... No, I wasn't trying to change him. I was trying to help him. <laughs> Women, we, we just have a desire to help our husbands, don't we? And in helping them, if we see something that needs change, that ought to help you. So that's our perspective anyway. And so, you know, I just would pray and, and pray for him and pray for him and, and um, oh, Lord, you know, fix him and change him and fix him, Lord. And, oh, did you notice what he did? Did you notice how he didn't do this? And uh, did you notice, you know, God, fix him? And, and one time, I mean, it wasn't an audible voice, but it sure could have been. It was that loud I just heard. Um, you're not praying, you're complaining. And I never <laughs> promised to answer complaints. And so it was like, wow, what a, what a waste of my energy. And so, um, you know, I, I saw in 1 John 5.14, it says that whatever we ask according to his will, that we can know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know we have the requests we've asked from him. And I thought, well, I got to find out what God's will is for Duane. And then things can really happen because it won't just be me. And, and it was, um, you know, just something because to, you can't just tell yourself, okay, don't think these thoughts and don't say this and don't pray this way. You just have to replace it. And then you don't have to worry about not thinking a certain thought because you're busy thinking a new thought. And so I, I went to the Word and I found, I thought, what do I pray? And I know... Paul had lots of prayers in the beginning of, of the uh, epistles. Each, each of the letters, there's, you know, I could just flip to anyone and there's some awesome prayers there, you know. And so I began uh, to pray for Duane 
And I would just ask God to give him the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that Dwayne will know you better. And I pray that the eyes of Dwayne's heart will be enlightened so that he might know the hope to which you've called him and know your wonderful, rich provisions that you've given to him in Christ. And, and I, you know, I'd go on and, and I just, I wrote these down and I put Dwayne's name in it. And, and I had a list of these and sometimes I'd be reading the word and I'd find something else that was, do you realize, okay, we might not be perfect, but we're blood-bought children of God. And so here's a righteous man. He might not always act like that, but he is. And so he's in the making, and I'm in the, we're in the making. So knowing that, I thought, okay, then whatever it says in the Bible about the righteous one, the righteous man, uh, then that is God's will for him, and that's what God is working in him. So, m boy, my prayer list got to be come pages because there was so much the Bible said about him and and it was really fun it changed my heart and my attitude and my perspective um, I just was thankful for more and loved him more because there was more to love I just it opens your eyes and turns you away from your complaining into um, what God is doing and after about three months Dwayne didn't know what I was doing and Dwayne came to me one day he's like I don't know what is happening to me. The Bible is just coming alive. I'm just getting so much revelation, and, and God is just correcting me and changing me. And I'm like, oh, yes, I know. <laughs> Isn't God good? And, you know, it really, when you realize that your marriage is not just you and your spouse, and we're trying to impress God by how good we can be, but it's you and your spouse and God working together to become a powerful um, unit that's growing and, and shining and showing his glory and, and it's awesome. You're not in this alone. Mm -hmm. Amen. I got off. But. That's okay. Uh, when, when God created Adam and Eve, put him in the beautiful garden, you remember there, there's Adam, there's Eve, and God. It wasn't just the two, it was three. Right? It says in Malachi 2 that it's God who makes the two one. It's, it, it, there's a three-folded strand. But I want you to think about this. Neither of them had any past. They had no hang-ups. They had no negative influences. They had no in-laws. I mean, there was just, you, you, you look at it and it's like, what could go wrong? Everything was, every, they were just like set up for success. All right? Now, the Bible does not tell us how long it took them to blow it. All right? Although... Jewish rabbis teach that they blew it on the first day. <laughs> right? and we, the Bible doesn't say that. It just, okay. So they're, they're in this perfect, perfect environment, and they blow it. Right? And then the first thing that happens is they're afraid. Right? They begin to hide. They begin to conceal. They're, Adam is blaming Eve. Eve's blaming the serpent. And, and, and the marriage just begins to, begins to disintegrate. Now, Adam's original sin, I mean, I'm, Adam was, the, the, somebody said, well, you know, Eve got us in trouble, but the Bible says she gave to her husband with her. In other words, Adam was not on the other side of the garden. Adam was right there, right? And really, yeah, he ate and that was wrong, but a big part of what was wrong was Adam did not put up a fight. Adam did nothing. You know, as someone said so long ago, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. 
And that's what Adam did. He did nothing, right? How many of you know that when you, you have indecision, that's a decision, right? When you have inaction, it's an action, right? You, 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 have, you have let things go that you should have confronted. Good. And good things don't happen by default. Good things happen by design, you know? And what Adam should have done is he should have risen up and said, no, not here, not in my family. This is not the right thing to have happen. This is not what God told us to do, right? And, and the same thing is true today. When we are in inaction, when we don't make a, the right decision, we're really, we're making a decision, but it's the wrong one. So we want to talk a little bit about making some right decisions concerning your family this morning. And the first one I want to talk about, and you may think this is self-serving, but this is not. This is, this is God-serving. Hebrews 10.25 says, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the custom or manner of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. So this is literally talking about church attendance. And it says, as the day of the Lord, as, the, as Jesus' return gets closer, it says you ought to assemble more and not less, right? But we're, we are living in a contracted society in, in that people want more for less. They want to give less, but they want to receive more from the less that they give. But let me just say something about the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. The church doesn't belong to me or you. It belongs to Jesus and his number one ministry today. How many want to participate with Jesus? Yeah. His number one ministry today is building the church. Right? The church is to be the manifestation of the kingdom of God in the world today. Jesus gave himself for the church. He loves the church. He's building the church. He's purifying the church. He's coming back for the church for the church so here's the compromise that comes in when it comes to our family all right now jesus said but seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and by the way the church is to be the manifestation of the kingdom of god in the earth right but what we do is we seek something else first right we seek entertainment we seek family time we seek a vacation we seek all sorts of things all right. And what ends up happening is we take our family, instead of going to church, we go and do something else. Right? And here's what you're telling your kids. You're telling them, because how many know your kids don't listen to what you say, they see what you do. And you're saying to them, you know, it's more important that we have family time. It's more important that we relax. It's more important that we go fishing. It's more important that we do this, that we do that, that we do the next thing right? And what you're doing is you're not seeking the kingdom first, right? And as Jeannie says so many times, she says, your compromises become your kids' norms. Your kids take what you do and they take it to the next level, right? So, so what, what happens is as we make this excuse and, and we go off and do something different, what we're doing is instead of seeking first the kingdom, we're seeking somebody else, something else. Now, all of those things are good, I like fishing. I don't like golf. I don't know why you do it, but go ahead. Right? Uh, vacation, the lake, the beach. It's all good. And somebody said, but they asked me to go on Sunday. I want you to get this phrase. Right? When somebody calls up and says, hey, let's do this on Sunday. This is what you say. That's great. Right after church. 
In fact, just say that. Just say, just say, say that. Everybody say, right after church. Anything. It's all good. All right. But you've got to seek first the kingdom of God. You've got to put God first in everything that we do. Now, here's what happens when you don't. Right? We, we talked about how it affects your children. But how many of you remember a big Thanksgiving meal? Right? And you ate it, and you were like so full, and you're like, I don't want to eat for three days. How many have been there? Okay. That's how it is in the natural. Right? Spiritually, it is the exact opposite. Right? The more you feed yourself spiritually, the more capacity that you have and the hungrier you become. But when you don't feed yourself spiritually, the less spiritual hunger that you have. Right? And, and, and literally, you can get to the point where you have no spiritual hunger. That's one of the reasons that we encourage you to invite somebody to church. You see, but they don't want to come. Yeah, but you get them in a spot where the Spirit of God is moving, and you know what happens? A hunger begins to be born in their heart. And the more they get around it, the more hunger gets on the inside of them. Right? And I really believe that it's like a demonic attack. Jesus talks in Mark chapter 4 that the, the Word of God is sown. He said, it's the Word of the kingdom. All right? And then he says, listen, he says, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things comes in and chokes the word and it becomes unfruitful, right? When we let other things come in, right, what happens is it chokes the word of God in our lives and our lives spiritually become unfruitful. You might think, oh, you know, you're up there and you've got to preach to somebody, so of course you want somebody to come so there's people to speak to. And he's not tooting his own horn. We are... Uh, you. Maybe some of you don't realize what a difference you make, but um, you come to church and you fellowship and you're a part, there's more that you do being here than you realize um, besides uh, planting seeds in your family and your kids' hearts and maybe you, you met somebody on the parking lot and, and you helped this person with that and you saw a need over here and the body is able to connect and function together and encourage each other and impart grace to each other, and, and uh, we make a difference. We're all different parts of the body. My, my toe, I'm glad my toes are all there. This just makes walking better. My elbows, my ears, I mean, just every part of us. It's nice when we're working, and when one part has a need, you know, to be able to minister to the other. The body of Christ, the church, is, is God's idea, and it's a really healthy, beautiful one. In Psalm 118, it says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. I read that this morning and I thought, you know what? There is a place where blessings flow from where the blessings flow and where we have the right to make a connection, to be a conduit of that power and, and it, that truly blesses other people. And that what, what an opportunity we have. Do you, are you so thankful that we can get together there was no policeman outside your home ready to arrest you if you went to worship God this morning. Yeah. Praise God. We get to come together and worship freely and praise God and pray and, and speak the word. And, and we need to do it while we can. This is an awesome blessing. Now, I want to just say something about the family and going to church is that I'm thankful my, my mom and dad um, were faithful church um, 
they weren't just church attenders. They just served and worked in the church and did whatever they could. Uh, the church was just a, a wonderful event and, and a part of our lives. And when we would go traveling, um, we, I was uh, raised in Washington State and all my in-laws and the parents, I mean my grandparents were all in Kansas City, so, or Kansas State. So all of the in-between Washington and Kansas, we traveled through all the Tetons and the Yellowstone and we went back and forth through all that part of the country um, all the time. And, and when we were on the road, my dad would get out, you know, what, there was no GPS, there was no Googling, where's the closest church? You had to <laughs> unfold this great big map all the way across the front seat and, you know, figure out where's, where's the next closest city that will have a church. And, and we would tra we'd be traveling, we, we'd camp out behind a, 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 in a burned out old campground and we'd camp out there but get up the next morning wash our faces and and head to the first uh, town to find a church and what it spoke to me was that church is important mm -hmm. that wow this is great not only do we go to get something but my folks were like you know what there might be a church where there's people discouraged and and if some travelers come through and stop we might be able to Add to the choir, add to the worship, sing. We'll, we'll be a blessing there. And, and it, it has just spoke volumes to me about the importance and made it so it's like automatic. It becomes instinct. It's a part of it. And when you plant that in your kids, that's what you're doing is this is priority in our life. This is important. Right after church, say we're going to worship. We're going to take care of our spiritual need. We're going to get fed spiritually. Now, the, the prophet Hosea prophesied is Israel was turning away from God. And he noticed certain things that were having a big effect. And this is, this is what the prophet Isaiah wrote. He said, harlotry, wine and new wine, enslave the heart. So really when it's talking about wine and new wine, it's talking about alcohol, the abuse of alcohol. And it says it enslaves the heart. Away from God, away from your family. Now, I want to say this. We do not believe that drinking, to have a beer is a sin or to have a glass of wine is a sin, right? But I will say this, I've never met anybody who said, man, since I started drinking, my life is so much better. Uh, you, you haven't either, it sounds like, right? So, so having a, a glass of wine or having a beer is not a sin, but drunkenness is sin. And personally, we, we've made the choice oh, yeah. that we don't go there. We just, yeah. we just don't go there. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. In fact, it was kind of funny. We, we kind of like, you know, I say to her sometimes, I'm so glad you don't smoke. And she said, I'm so glad, you know, that you don't cuss. And I said, I'm so glad you don't drink. And she we just kind of like, so we don't. Okay. How do we get off on that? 1 Corinthians 6, 9. <laughs> do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers nor extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God. So it's not wrong to have a drink, but it is sinful to get drunk. In fact, Hosea said that what alcohol can do when it's abused is it will turn your heart away from God and away from your family. Right? The Bible says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I want to talk to you about two different spots in the Bible where it talks about alcohol. And the first one is in Genesis 9, and it's the first time alcohol is mentioned, right? Now, if you, if you ever went to seminary or, or Bible college, 
they, they teach a class they call hermeneutics. And how many of you know they always try to put big words on stuff so you don't know what they're talking about? And all that that means is how to interpret the Bible, right? And one of the first classes that you ever take there will be called the principle of first mention, which is the first time that any subject is mentioned in the Bible, right? God lays down all the predominant truths about that subject, whether it's going to be good or bad and how it affects people and how it comes into people's lives and, and uh, that sort of thing. It all happens the first time. And you remember when they would question Jesus about things, Jesus would say, in the beginning... I remember Jesus, that's what Jesus would always do. Jesus would go back, he said, in the beginning it wasn't so. Yeah, but in the beginning, in the beginning, Jesus would keep on going back to the beginning because that's where the foundation is laid. Beginning, alcohol, Genesis chapter 9, Noah gets drunk. So he awoke from his wine and he knew what his younger son had done to him. Right? Something happened. And he said, cursed be Cain, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brethren. Now, here's the interesting thing. The younger son is not Cain. The younger son is Ham, right? But what happened is the effect of the alcohol, the curse did not fall on the person. The curse fell on the children. And I think it's very, very interesting. If you ever take any type of class about counseling and substance abuse, one of the things they're going to tell you is that the children and grandchildren of alcoholics are affected by the alcoholic. It's not the person that gets it, but it affects the children. And most of them, it affects them their entire life. Right? The Bible tells us right off the bat, you know, there's a curse that can come when alcohol is abused, and it doesn't just affect that person, it affects their children. Right? Now, the second one is in Genesis 19. And this is a story about Lot. Sodom and Gomorrah are being destroyed. Lot is Abraham's nephew. Right? And the Bible in the New Testament calls him righteous Lot. Right? And, and there, there's actually two spots in the Bible that Jeannie has said, I wish God didn't put that in the Bible. Is there anything you wish God hadn't put in the Bible? Right? Well, there's two spots where Jeannie says, I just wish God hadn't put that in the Bible. And this is one of those two spots. So Lot has escaped with his daughters. And they say, come, let us make our father drink wine. And we'll lie with him that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father and didn't know. He didn't know when she lay down or when she rose. And then the next night, the younger daughter did the same thing. And both of them became pregnant by their father, right? They, they became the Ammonites and the Moabites, who are literally the, the enemies of Israel to this day. But here's what I want you to catch. Even a righteous person does ungodly things when they get drunk. Even a righteous person will do ungodly things when they get drunk. So be very careful, right, when it comes to alcohol. Because the Bible says it can enslave you and it will enslave your heart away from God and away from your family, right? Now, the, the other thing that's mentioned in this verse is harlotry, uh, which word we don't use a lot today and probably its most predominant manifestation today is pornography all right now the bible says that a prostitute's a deep pit and an adulteress is a narrow well now if you fall in a shallow hole you can get out you can climb out but you when it says that you fall it's a deep pit what it's saying is this you fall in 
It says, you're probably going to need some help to get out. You, 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 you're not going to get out all by yourself, all right? When in Psalms 101, the man is, is literally talking to God. He said, God, he said, help me. He said, I want to do what's right, and especially in my home. And then he says, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the works of those who fall away. It will not cling to me. He's saying you can see something and that thing get in your mind and it just stays there and it just keeps coming back up. It's his, it clings to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I'll not know wickedness. Now, pornography, here's what we know today, all right? It does not satisfy, all right? It just demands more and more and more and more, right? And it used to be just a practically simply a male problem that is no longer true. It is, it is also uh, affected uh, about 25% of the female population in the United States today. All right, so it's just not even just a male thing, all right? But here's what, guys, here's what this says. It says that one woman's not enough. It says a real woman's not enough. It says my spouse is not enough, all right? And the Bible says it will enslave you and it will turn your heart. It will grab your heart and it will turn your heart away from God and away from your spouse. When it says it's a deep pit, I think of Psalm 40. Um, you know, it can sound kind of hopeless. And when you have chains around you, I don't even know if chains is the right word, maybe a bungee cord. Because when you come to church and you're worshiping God, you feel free and you're like, yes, I leave all that behind. I'm not going to ever, ever again get drunk. I'm never going to look at something I shouldn't. I'm going to, I'm free, I'm free. And, and you're flying up like a, a, a helium-filled balloon or something. You're floating up high and then the bungee cord like wham and pulls you back down and like, oh, I fell again. That's being in a deep pit, one that you can't get out by yourself. But um, there's no condemnation for needing help to get out of the pit. And I love this, this scripture. There is hope. There is help for every single one of us. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, and set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand and put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. And it goes on. It's just awesome how... Um, the, there, there is hope and there is help and, and there's, none, there's no one that is too... Sin is not stronger than the provision of Christ's blood to set you free from every defilement of the enemy. Yeah. And the blood of the Lamb can set, set you, you free. free. Uh, and I want to give you quickly um, something that I think has helped me a lot and will help you when you find yourself stuck in a pit or at a destination or maybe even your kids are like, what happened? How did we get to this point? Why are my kids all wrapped up in this? Why is this happening? And um, I, this will really help you. In Psalm 37, verse 34, uh, verse 3 and 4, there's this great list of, of advice, you know, to trust in the Lord, to do good, to dwell on the land, to feed on his faithfulness. And then it says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And if you look at that, um, well, out of that which you delight in will spring the desires that you have. And the desires that you have will always affect the decisions you make. 
And the decisions you make always will affect the direction that you go, which will result in the destination you arrive at. So if you look and you say, I'm in a pit. You're at this destination. You're like, I don't want to be here, but I'm in this pit. Then you need to just go back and think, okay, well, I'm in this pit because I went this direction. And why did I go that direction? Well, because I made this decision. And why did I make this decision? Because there were these certain desires I had, and, and they influenced that. Well, then what did you delight in? And, you know, if you find yourself, um, you get prayer, and you get free, and you're set out of the pit, and, and you go around, you have to change what you delight in. You have to choose. I'm going to delight in what's right. God, I delight in your presence. I delight... I delight in my spouse. I delight in orange juice instead of uh, liquor. I delight in, you know, you start delighting in, in, in what's right, and you won't long for what's wrong. And um, God wants to deliver us from evil. Over several times, I don't know how many times, but I've noticed several times in Jesus when he taught us to pray and then when he prayed for his disciples, several times he prayed that we would be delivered from evil. And he told us to pray that we be delivered from evil. And he wants us delivered from evil and his prayers are answered. So um, let's resist those things that would try to ensnare us and, and destroy our families and destroy our lives and let's delight in, in God and his deliverance. We are living today with the first generation of young people that did not or do not need any help to get information. That, de that device that they've got, they, they can punch in anything and they can find out anything. They don't need an adult to get information, but they need you desperately to interpret the information that they're getting. Uh, kids don't need us less. They need adults more than ever before, especially as we see our society becoming more secular and becoming more and more sexualized. You know, you, you look in practices that were taboo, that were prohibited by law or custom, you know, that somebody might do in the shadows, right? But as our nation has continued to go towards being more and more secular and sexualized, those things begin to emerge from the shadows. And then they came to the point where they were tolerated. And then they were accepted. And then they were established. And now they're coming to the point where they could be literally enforced or become law. Right? As those things are happening around us, our children need adults to help them interpret what's going on in our culture. Don't just think, hey, they can get the information. The information's there, but what we need to do is we need to teach them what's godly because our culture is moving farther and farther away from its biblical foundation and is becoming more and more a secular, sexualized culture. Well, we're gonna, we're gonna pray for every, every family uh, as we okay. start to wind down. All right, God, thank you for the opportunities that you have given us to be a part of your family and to be husbands and wives and parents and grandparents. God, to just um, 
plant good seed in each other's lives and raise family. God, I thank you for the opportunities. And we pray for each family. God, for the single parents and, and the married ones, God. And we just pray that you will give us the grace that we need to speak life into our family, to lead and direct our families, to love and serve and please you with all of their hearts. We thank you for um, doing it with us, that we don't get to do, have to do this alone, but that you want to help us and lead and guide and direct and equip us with every good thing that we need to do your will in our families. And we thank you for the changes that are taking place as we seek to obey and follow your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.